Welcome to Word Today. I am your host, Don Cornelius, and this is... No, I'm just kidding. Welcome to Word Today. I am your host, Levi Johnny Griffin. And if you are new here, I want you to know that everyone has a bias. So I need you to identify yours and check it at the door, because on Word Today, the only opinion that matters is God's... Listen, today's topic is the power of a made-up mind, pulling the trigger on tough decisions. The power of a made-up mind. Mind. There's nothing more important than a made up mind. You can conquer mountains when you make your mind up. You can get out of terrible relationships if you make your mind up. You can enter into gorgeous, wonderfully strong relationships. You can make an impact on your job. You can leave that job, start a new job or start a new career. You can be a better parent. You can be a better spouse. You can be a better lover. You can be a better liver of life. If you make your mind up. So that's what we're going to talk about. Making your mind up. Let's get ready. Be right back. Oh, no. You want the real music? Okay. Okay, so the power of a made up mind. First, let me let me tell you this story. And this is based on a true story, uh, which is kind of sad because it's somewhat of a sad story. Uh, I actually have the details of the real story. You can email me if you want them or today.org at gmail.com. But listen, there's a lady. She's holding two ropes, one rope in her left hand, one rope in her right hand. Her name is Samantha. In her left hand, the rope is connected to the other end of the rope. Samantha's holding is connected to Dave, her husband. And Dave is in a basket that's on the side of a cliff. If Samantha lets go, her husband falls off. The cliff and her right hand pulling her on the other side is her son, Bucky. Bucky's in a basket, same like Dave. And if she lets go, her son, only boy, baby boy falls off the cliff. So she's holding both baskets, unable to decide who to save, because if she she lets one go, she can save the other. But she doesn't know who to let go and who to save. Now, biblically, we know that you you probably want to save your husband, right? Um, and being a, a man, I've, of, of course, I favor this. Um, but, but if I was the son, I don't know. Maybe you always want to save your child. I don't know. I don't know. But, but she's holding this. She's holding one rope to her husband who's hanging off a cliff and the other one to her son. She's been doing this for 48 hours. She's it's sweating. It's heavy. It's pulling her physically and mentally apart, literally and figuratively. And she, she doesn't know what to do. Um, another 48 hours passes and now she's about to pass out um, because she's unable to make this decision. 48 hours later, she actually dies from the stress and the physical pressure. And upon her death, both ropes fall and both her husband and her son fall off the cliff. The power of a made up mind pulling the trigger on tough decisions in life. Not every decision is going to be easy. Not every decision is going to be clear cut. Not every decision is going to have a easy right and an easy wrong. Oh, this is what's right. This is what's wrong. Think about uh, the ontology versus utilitarianism. The ontology would tell you, hey, there's just a set of rules, set, set of laws. Just follow those laws. Utilitarianism says, hey, do what's greater for mankind. Say someone's dying in a hospital bed. 
the ontologist says, hey, uh, this person has a right to live and that's the law. So, you know, if they're in a hospital bed, doesn't matter if they're going to they're unconscious in a coma and may never survive and may take up that bed for 30 years. It's the law. They have a right to live. So let them live. Utilitarianism may say, hey, but what's the greater good? We can let this one person go and use this bed over the next 50, 60 years to save countless people, thousands and thousands of people. So what is better? You know, utilitarianism would say, listen. You know, we got to look for the greater good. This bed could save thousands of people. This hospital has limited beds. This bed could save thousands of people over the next 50 years versus just having this one guy in a coma sit here. And you go, yeah, man, you're right. But then the ontologist says, hey, but what if that was your mother, your father or anyone? That person has a right to live and whether they're there for 50 years uh, because they're in a coma or maybe they're only there for 20 years or maybe they're there. They wake up in two days. They have that right to fight. So now the decision, the ontology, utilitarianism, which is right. Which idea do you go for? Which what do you say? Do you go by? Hey, this is the law. This is the way it's going to be all the, all the time. It's going to be this way. Or do you say, hey, we got to go. With what's ultimately best for uh, humanity? But what is ultimately best for humanity in a situation like that? Sometimes the decisions aren't so clear cut and we have to learn to pull the trigger on tough, hard, difficult decisions. So I want to tell you, just like Samantha, you know, if a failure to make a hard decision is within itself a decision, Samantha's failure to save either her son or her husband cost all three of their lives versus just one. So 100% passed away versus just 33%. You have to make not, you have to make a decision. Not making a decision is ultimately making a decision. And it's normally not the best decision to make. I want to go over some questions, questions to ask before stepping out on faith. And then we're going to get into our text questions to ask before stepping out on faith. Number one, How well do I know God? How well do I know God? And two points under that. A, can't know God's will without knowing God. You can't know what God wants for you without knowing God. Sometimes those hard, rough, difficult decisions will be a little bit easier if you knew God. Because if you knew God, you know what God wants. B, you can't know God without knowing the Bible. We're going to go over that. Second question I want to ask. Have you been trying to uh, to hone your ability to hear God's voice? Have you been trying to hone your ability to hear God's voice? Prayer, meditation, reading the word. Last, how much do you trust God? How much do I trust God? Let's go. Let's go to how well do I know God? John one says in the beginning and in this today, we're going to be in New American Standard Bible NASB. I try to keep. All of my references to the same Bible uh, that way you don't have to flip back or, you know, look at different references and keep all the things in the same context. Same vein of thought, uh, if you will, and learn uh, what that Bible, uh, the nuances of that Bible. OK, NASB John one in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came 
into being through him and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory as of the only begotten from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness, we have all received and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the father. He explained, he has explained him. Let's go back to in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. God has many manifestations. We see him uh, transfigure into a burning bush. And speak with Moses. We see him show a, a bodily figure whose shadow falls on Moses. We see uh, him transfigure into a man and die on a cross. And we see here him transform into the word and become our text, become our canon, become our Bible. So how well do we know God? Well, we can't know God without we can't know God's will without knowing God. And we can't know God without knowing the Bible because God doesn't transform into a burning bush every day or a cloud by day. Right. And a flaming fire by night every day. His shadow just doesn't come in a physical form. Every day. So he had to leave us something or decided to leave us something so that we could know him. So he manifest himself into text, text that we can hold, that we can read, that we can pray over and get poured into by and have a up close personal. We can hug the Bible, know that we're hugging God literally, literally. It is God. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, right? On 14, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified about it and cried. This is the word of God, the same word that is flesh. And as we reverence what Jesus did in the flesh, we have to reverence what God did in the text. Same manifestation. Same God, same God. So how well do we know God? That goes back to how, how well do you know the text? How well do you know the text? Have I been training myself to hear his voice? The second thing you want to ask yourself before, before tackling any serious decision. First, how well do I know God? Second, have I been training myself to hear his voice? How do I, how do you train yourself to hear the voice? Say there's people that do bird calls and all these different, I can't do it, but they do all of these different bird calls and the birds hear that human voice and interpret it 
as a signal from the bird to find a mate, to go find food, to forage. The human had to do what? Listen, spend some time just in the forest, hours and hours upon days, upon months, some upon years, some upon decades, just listening to the birds. Listening to what happens when they make this sound and what the other birds do, figuring out their language, meditating in the forest for years. And then then after they meditate, they they communicate. They try a bird call out and see, hey, does this work? They try to communicate with the birds. And, and, And how does that translate to us? How do we know God's voice just like that bird caller? We need to meditate for days, weeks, years, decades on the word of God. Then we need to communicate with the word, with God. When we talk to God, they call it prayer. I just call it a conversation. And how do we know how to talk to God? How do we know his language? Well, we've been meditating on his word. What does that mean? That means we've been reading his word, thinking about his word, contemplating because we know His word is God. It is God. It is the textual transfiguration of our Lord Jesus Christ, of our father, Jehovah God. Third question, last question. How much do I trust God? Right. How much do I trust God? Galatians three says this. Even so, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is to those. It is those who are of faith, who are sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying all the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Let's go to second Kings five. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. Elisha sent a messenger messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored to you and you will be clean. But Naaman was furious and went away and said, behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord, his God, and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. And not Abana and Farpa, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel. Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Then his servants came near and spoke to him and said, my father, had the prophet told you to do something great, some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more than when he says to you, wash and be clean. So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. What happened here? Naaman had a skin disease. And he went to the prophet to get cured. And he's thinking that the prophet is going to shake and scream and pray and call down fire from heaven and then tell him to, you know, do 800 pushups, then run nine miles, and then turn around in eight circles and do all this stuff. And. The prophet doesn't even answer the door. Naaman gets there, knocks on the door. Basically, the prophet sends his helper out and says, all right, just tell him to take a bath, dip seven times. And he'll be all right. And since the cure didn't come in the pill form, Naaman thought it would. 
he got upset. Sometimes your cure is not going to come in the way you think it's going to come. Sometimes the deliverance you've been looking for isn't going to come the way you think it's going to come. The reason we have Judaism and Christianity still when Judaism should have just become Christianity. The reason we still have two separate religions is because the Messiah didn't come in the pill form that all of the Jews were looking for that they thought he would come in. Some of them were looking just for a spiritual savior. They they converted or evolved into Christianity, became Christianity because they've been waiting for the savior to come the whole time. So it's really not Christianity. It's just a fulfillment of Judaism. And the other Jew says, no, we were waiting for someone to come and kick out the Romans and the Syrians and the and make us a mighty nation. And we're going to conquer the world like Egypt. We're looking for a mighty warrior to come and just destroy and kill everything that's not Jewish. And they're still waiting on that today. Not making fun, but sometimes the cure, the medicine, the answer doesn't come looking like you think it should look. So you need to be open to the possibility that God doesn't think the way you do. But luckily, thank God that Naaman had someone of faith around him, some good people that weren't afraid to talk to him and tell him something contrary to what he personally believed. Someone that could reason with them. Uh, someone that, that cared about him. So it was a servant. Servant comes and said, listen, had the prophet made a big fuss and told you to do something difficult, you would have did it. Told you to do something easy and you're furious. Why? Because you don't trust the prophet. You trust your recollection of what you believe the prophet should do based on what you've thought or heard other prophets do. God doesn't act the same way all the time. And what you're used to might not have even been the right thing to begin with. It's just the truth. So luckily someone talks, talks to Naaman and Naaman goes and does it. He, he goes and, uh, does what the prophet says. He trusts. How much do I trust God? If God tells me something that doesn't jive with me, do I trust my recollection of what I believe things should be based on what I believe they've been before? Or do I just trust God? And that goes back to hearing his voice. There's a, there's a scripture that's misquoted all the time and it says, my sheep know my voice. John 10, 27, 30. That's actually not what it says. John 10, 27 says this. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them. And they follow me. How beautiful is that? I start talking. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them. I know that one's John. I know that one's Peter. I know this one's Mark. I know that's Sarah. I know my sheep. And when I move, my sheep follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never die. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. No one will take my sheep from me. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. and No one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. And I and the father are one. Wow. 
my sheep hear my voice. Go move. Don't stay there. Walk away. Be be peace. Be be prosperity. Be charity. Be love. Be giving. Be generous. Be fruitful. Be productive. Be blessed. And I know them. And they follow me. That's good stuff. So when it comes to having a made up mind, you just have to know those three. You have to be able to answer those three questions. How well do I know God? And I can't know God's will without knowing God. And I can't know God without knowing the Bible, because that's the textual manifestation of God himself. Have I been training myself to hear his voice, prayer, meditation, reading his word? How much do I trust him? Do I trust him like Naaman? You know, I trust him when what he says makes sense to me. And do I trust him to that doesn't matter what he says? I will follow. And how do I know it's God's voice? Because I've meditated. I've prayed. I hear his voice. He knows me and I follow him. It's hard to to measure, um, you know, if it's God's will against God's, you know, what God calls you to do if you don't know the Bible. If God says, hey, I want you to divorce your wife or, you know, if you think in your mind, maybe it's God telling me to divorce my wife. I've heard some crazy stuff. I heard people say, well, I think it's a sign or I think God's telling me to divorce my wife or divorce my husband. And I go, well, have they cheated, been cheating on you? No. Have they been beating you? No, but I'm just unhappy. And I think God told me that. Well, what does what does God's word say about divorce? God's word says don't divorce. Even if the person is an unbeliever, don't divorce him. The only reason he gives is if uh, infidelity, basically, or excuse me, adultery, not infidelity, adultery. You know, is that person cheating on you? If not, then you stick it out. It's not based on how happy you are. You made a lifelong commitment. That's what it means for better or for worse. It means if this turns bad, I'm going to stick it out. Why? Because a physical marriage, all it does is a it's a physical representation of the marriage between God, Jesus and us, the church, between Jesus and the church. And just like Jesus wouldn't quit on us, he doesn't want us to quit on him. And our physical marriage to that man and that woman, because marriage is between a man and a woman. That marriage is a representation of Jesus in the church and us. He says the only reason, only way that's going to break up is adultery. That means you start worshiping another God, then we'll divorce. But other than that, we're, we're going to work this thing out. We're going to be, I'm going to be for you and you're going to be for me. And that's, that's how he wants our physical marriages to be because it's just a reflection of his spiritual marriage. But you don't know that if you're not in your word, you're going off of what your friends say, she said, your homeboy say, he said, what some guy said, or even what some preacher or pastor said. But do you know God for yourself? What does God say? How what do I know God when I'm making these big and tough decisions? Have I been training myself to hear his voice, prayer, meditation, reading his word? And how much do I trust him? How much do I actually trust him? And then there there's some there's some hard decisions you will have to have to make. Let's go to Genesis 13. And I have a couple of couple of scriptures here. Genesis 11. Genesis 12, or Genesis chapter 11, Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 13, a few scriptures from all of them. Uh, I don't know if we're going to get to to all of them. Uh, there's some good ones here. Matter of fact, let's do 11. Genesis 11, verse 27. Now, these are the records of the generations of Terah. 
Terah became the father of Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his birth in Ur of the Chaldeans. Abraham and Nahor took wives for themselves. The name of Abraham's wife was Sarai. And the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Ishka. Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abraham, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son's Abraham's wife, his son Abraham's wife. And they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. And they went as far as Haran and settled there. The days of Terah were two hundred and five years and Terah died in Haran. Now, that's that gives you a very uh, full look at Abraham. But man, if you come to Acts seven, let's come over here to Acts seven. First one, the high priest said, are these things so? And he said, hear me, brethren and fathers. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. So the original what I read you uh, was Genesis 11, the original account. This is Acts 7. This is, uh, and, and if you're looking at the NASB, it's entitled Stephen's Defense. Uh, so this is the book of Acts, and this is Stephen's Defense. Listen to what he says. And he said, hear me, brethren and fathers, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. Before he lived in Haran and said to him, leave your country and your relatives and come into this land that I will show you. Then he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. From there, after his father died, God had him moved to this country in which you are now living. But he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot of ground. And yet, even when he had no child, he promised that he would give it to him as a possession. And to his descendants after him. But God spoke to this effect that his descendants would be aliens in a foreign land and that they would be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. And whatever nation to which they will be in bondage, I myself will judge, said God. And after that, they will come out and serve me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs wow that just really really feels in a lot and why is that so amazing we talk about a tough decision it is important to know that haran the land they're living in is the name of their brother who died abraham's brother who died so now it's 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 uh, abram and nahor they marry wives they take wives they have an inheritance they don't have to split it with Haran, who's passed away, even though by law they're supposed to marry Haran's wife if he doesn't have any male heirs. If he does, then his portion would pass on to his son. They will split the inheritance and they will take over the land. And it's important to know that at this time, everything was wrapped up in taking over your inheritance. It's kind of like if you were, you know, the Hilton family and a billionaire, you want your father's inheritance. You want to take that over. So it's important to know that God is telling him to leave his father's house, leave his father's creditors, the people that are willing to give him credit and the people that know him, the people that are uh, invested in the that name, the Abram of uh, the Chaldean's name. Right. The people that know that name, that big name, the Gates, Trump, Buffett, whatever, uh, Winfrey, whatever name, insert name here. 
the the people that would give him credit would give him money that would buy his livestock everything to go to a land he is unaware of that he has no inheritance of that he owns no place of that Jews may not even have uh, religious rights in which means people will worship their own gods and follow their own laws and in, and it notes in Genesis 11 verse 30 before they leave Sarah was barren so not only do I have a barren wife and no inheritance no uh, descendants of my own no uh, lineage to pass anything on to I'm leaving my sustenance to go to, to a barren land so I have a barren wife so I have no future and I'm going to a barren land so I have no present talk about needing to hear a word from God needing to know God's voice to be able to Trust God. I have a barren wife headed to possibly a barren land for my descendants that I probably won't have because my wife is barren to basically be enslaved for 400 years before they're prosperous. God is this you. God is this you. How well do I know the God? How well do I know my God? Have I been training myself to hear his voice and how much do I trust him? Abraham knew God. He loved God. Abraham, his whole life had been training himself to hear God's voice. And he trusted God amazingly. Because you, you the, the very first line of Genesis 12, um, it, it starts like this in verse 4. So verses 1, 2, and 3, God gives the instruction, tells him what's going to happen. Very first line of verse 4, Genesis 11, it says this. So Abraham went. Abraham went. He knew God. He knew God's voice and he trusted God. And for that, his 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 faith is attributed to him as righteousness. We find out later on that that faith that God that 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 Abraham had in God was attributed to him as righteousness and that he became the father of the faithful. All of us who believe. So he had a spiritual generation that would be birthed out of him. And then God blesses. Sarah to give birth, Sarai, who God named Sarah, Abram, who became Abraham to give birth. So he had a biological lineage and a spiritual lineage. Talk about needing to hear a word when God is asking you to leave and forsake everything. God told him not even to take relatives. I need you to leave. And that's Genesis 12, verse one. Now, the Lord said to Abram, go forward from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house. Father's dead. But all that your father's land, everything that your father's acquired, your father's reputation, your father's covering, your father's credit, leave it all to the land, which I will show you. So I need you to start walking. You don't know where you're going. Just start walking. I'll show you where to go eventually. And yes, your wife is barren, but I'm going to make you the father of nations. Talk about a tough decision. Talk about leaving everything, but having to drag your family with you and having to believe that God said do it. But it boils down to how well do I know God? Have I been training myself to hear God's voice? And how much do I trust God? If this is God, do I trust him? God wouldn't have me hurt somebody. If if I think that's the case, then I don't know God. But if it is God, he's calling me out to do something amazing. Do I trust him enough to do it? Listen, I love you guys. We didn't get to Genesis 13 with the separation of Lot, but it is in my notes here. And of course, I always like to share my notes so you can go back and see the scriptures for yourself. Um, don't just take, take my word for it. Uh, research these scriptures and, and don't even just read them out of here. You know, 
Maybe I did something funky and added in an extra line. Go look them up yourself from a source you trust and make sure that this is the uh, NASB version of the Bible and that these words are accurate. Um, I don't do these podcasts for you to trust me as your prophet. I do them for you to educate yourself and uh, have a tool to educate yourself. The more you know, because remember, you don't need to know me. You need to know God and you do that by spending time in your Bible. Listen, we have a six month Bible reading plan going on on Facebook and a group called Rooted. Uh, email me if you want to be added wordtoday.org at gmail.com listen I really appreciate you checking out today's podcast make sure to find me on Facebook facebook.com forward slash Levi Johnny Griffin hit me up on Twitter at Levi underscore Griffin subscribe to the podcast on iTunes Apple podcast platforms Google podcast platforms and Stitcher also Place a link to this podcast in your social media feed and tag me in it, Levi Johnny Griffin, for a chance to co-host a show with me. Hey, I want to leave you with this. Four evidences of Christian faith. One is belief. We believe in what Jesus did on the cross. It's what covers us and gives us access to the glory of God. B, lifestyle. It just means we live like we believe it. Jesus tells us to live right, we live right. C, we evangelize. What does that mean? We teach other people about Jesus so they can have faith. Indeed, we spread the lifestyle. We teach them how to live like they have faith. How do we do that? We connect them to a church and we connect them to plenty of Christian material, Bibles, Christian books, Christian movies like The Passion, and even Christian podcasts like Word Today. Share it with your friends. If it's blessing you and you're eating and growing from it, let someone else eat and grow from it as well. I love each and every one of you. Let's keep praying and keep pushing in the faith together.